0: Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and mercy, the privilege that we have now to come in peace and to study your word. I ask now for the gift of your Holy Spirit in greater measure than we had it in the last session, that you take these truths and you drive them deep into our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a quick review. I have the review right here on the screen. You don't have to go anywhere. A cloud equals divinity. Is that right? Divinity comes in a cloud. What? Does a cloud and a rainbow represent? Covenant. 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 What does the face like the sun represent? God is enduring, and Jesus is the one highlighted as his face shining like the sun. So we came to the conclusion that this angel that came down from heaven can be none other than the divine one, Jesus Christ, the covenant keeping God, who is leading his people in the time of their darkness. We saw that the feet on the earth represented God claiming territory, that this place belongs to him. He is in charge. We saw that the lion roars. When he roars like a lion, God is threatening the enemies of the saints. So let's go back now. Oh, did I go too fast? Yes. Yes. All right, time's up. I'm going back now. <laughs> so now we're going to do with the seven thunders. Go, go with me to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. And we're looking now at verse number 4. Verse number 3, verse number 3, Revelation 10, verse 3, it says, And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. So as I was reviewing this this morning, I was going through my mind, a visual came to my mind for, like for the first time. I, I've never had a visual in my mind about this. But you can imagine the angel cries, and his voice sounds like, like a roaring lion, but there's a response to him back, and the response back sounds like seven thunders. So he does not sound like seven thunders, but there's a response back to him that sounds like seven thunders. So now let's go to Exodus chapter 19, and let's examine what these seven thunders could possibly mean. Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to begin reading. Oh, I could, we could do the whole thing, but we don't have time for that. Begin reading at verse number 16. Exodus 19 and verse 16. And again, we'll take volunteer to stand and just read for us, please. Go ahead, brother. Just
1: read all of Exodus
0: 19. No, um, starting at verse 16.
1: Nice. <laughs> 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 and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mounts and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mountain. Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it with fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord God came down from Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and
0: Moses went up. All right, thank you very much, brother. I, I was distracted by my family there for a second. So, <laughs> verse 18 says, And on Mount Sinai was altogether a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it like fire, and smoke thereof ascending as the smoke of a fiery furnace. Jump down to chapter 20, verse 18. Again, it's highlighting God's interaction with his own creation. Verse 18. Who will stand and read that one for us? All right, thank you, brother. And
1: all the people saw the thundering the trumpet, and the smoking, and when the people saw it, they and
0: stood All right, so now the people see the thunderings and the lightnings, and they are afraid. Are you guys following the idea so far? All right, I want you to go to Job chapter 40 and verse 9. What is happening in these... In these passages, who is speaking? What's transpiring? Job 40 and verse 9. This time my brother that was standing in green, brother Bill, go ahead and stand up, man. You, you got beat out twice there.
1: Alright. 40 verse 9.
0: Yes. Okay. What does it say there?
1: Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like
0: him? Mm. Are you following so far? So on Mount Sinai, God speaking, and sounds like thunder to the people, and the people are going to hide. And now the book of Job is highlighting that God's voice sounds like thunder. Go to Psalms 18, verse 3. Psalms 18, verse 3. Someone else stand and read for us. Psalms 18, and verse 3. Verse 13. 13, yes. 18, 13.
1: The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hail
0: and stones and coals of fire. Uh, all right. So the Lord thundered in heaven. The Lord spoke his, his voice. Voice of the Lord sounded like thunder. Psalms 29, verse 3. Psalms 29, verse 3. the voice of the Lord is over. The There it is again. The Lord is thundering. The Lord is over many waters. We're going to jump down here to John chapter 12, verse 23 through 32. Someone stand and read that one for us. We're trying to identify the imagery that is being put before us in regards to these seven thunders. John 12, yes. John 12, 23 through 32. Go ahead, someone stand and read for us. Them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Keep going. Truly, truly, I say to
1: you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, uses it. And, and whoever hates his life and this will will keep it for, each, for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. But where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But but for this purpose, I I, I, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard the voice and said that it sounded like thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him.
0: You guys see it? So when the people hear the voice, it sounds like what? Who's speaking? So when the lion roars, the lion is Jesus. His voice sounds like a roaring of a lion. He's speaking and who's speaking back? His father. Jesus roars and his father speaks back to him. I wonder what that conversation was about. I wonder what they said to each other. I want you to see something else because my mind, when this stuff starts happening, my mind starts running to other passages. So my mind ran to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And remember, this is a covenant-keeping God, and Jesus is roaring, declaring that he wants to do something about the enemies. God's responding back to him. So you go to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews chapter six, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 13. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, uh, notice what the Bible says. It says, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by what? Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Saying surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise For verily, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by a what? Interesting. So here's an angel who's really Jesus, lifting up his hands to heaven, and he roars like a lion, and God speaks back to him. A covenant-keeping God. And Jesus is declaring something. He's declaring something. When the father and son talk back to each other, there is no small matter going on here. Notice what else the Bible talks about here. Go back to Revelation chapter 10. He swore by himself when he could swear by no greater. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 10. And... Verse number three. Again, we're reading verse three. It says, And he cried with a loud voices when a lion roared, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. God speaks back. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard the voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and do what? So hide the conversation. Don't tell this conversation. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, and who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be what? Amen. Now we're going to go deeper here, okay? I want you to understand God has a great passion for his people. I mean, it's, it's so intense and it's so... God uses the imagery intentionally because it's great passion for his people, but his people don't understand what he desires. So what happens is God is making a move and his people are still back here. Okay, so watch. Is there anything else that has been closed up and sealed? Because now the, the, the command comes forward. You are to close up and seal. Do not write what the seven thunders uttered. So I want us to go to Daniel. Now we're going to begin to examine a little bit of Daniel. And I want you to start. You're going to see something by God's grace. And I'm going to say things that you can't believe when I say them to you because you've got to go back and study. Okay. And I'm just as fallible as you are. I see things messed up sometimes. So go back and study. Correct me if I'm wrong. In Daniel chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading. And I said verse 9, but let's start at verse 5 just for a little context. Okay. And you tell me if you see anything familiar. In Daniel 12, verse 5, it says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to that man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven and swear by him that lived forever and ever that it should be for what? Time and what? Times in what? And when, he had a com- and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So here, let's walk a little bit. So we read in the passage where there's an angel, but this time, or a person or a man, standing on water. He's not standing on water and land in this passage. He's just standing on water. And when he's standing on water, he does something very similar to the angel that stood in Revelation chapter 10. He lifts his hands to heaven and he swears. And when God swears, he can't lie. Is that right? He's making a covenant. And he's saying that this, whatever's transpiring, is going to allow to be, a, 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 there's going to be an allowance of a persecution of God's people for a time, times, and half a time. The question is, how long will this be? Is everybody following the idea? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go a little further. Let's go back. I want you to go now to Daniel chapter 8. I think I want to go to Daniel 8. Hold on one second. Yes, go to Daniel 8. Daniel 8, and we're going to begin reading at verse 13. Are you ready? Nobody's ready. Are you ready? Okay, Daniel 8, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision? Have we seen a a question like this before? What did we just see this? We just saw this in Daniel chapter 12. Is that right? So, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the what? Sanctuary. Both the what?
1: Sanctuary
0: and host. All right. Sanctuary and host. What's the rest of the verse say? To be trodden underfoot. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. So, if you're already following this idea. So, the sanctuary and the host are going to be trodden underfoot. The question is, how long will this be? Yeah, what's, and Now, we know the next verse because we say it in Adventism all the time. But, again, we, we often say verses that are not connected to the total thought. So, verse 14 says, And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the what? Okay, so I have two numbers now given to me. So in Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, it said time, times, and it said half time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And the question was, how long? And this is the number that's given. Now I have a similar question asked about a same group of people because it says sanctuary and host here. And then in Daniel 12, 12, verse 7, it says, scatter the power of the holy people. Is that right? So again, the question in regards to. Who is being persecuted in these verses? Well, that's God's people. Is that right? And now the question is in regards to the time of how long they're going to be persecuted. In Daniel 12, 7, it says, time, times, have a time. And in this one, it says, 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, again, not to get into too many details. But do you notice that every question that has been asked thus far is connected to time? Does everybody follow that idea? So every question that has been asked in Daniel 12 and in Daniel chapter 7, or I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 8 has been connected to time. Go back to with me now to Daniel 7. In Daniel 7. Notice what the Bible says in Daniel 7 and verse 25. And you're going to, we're going to read through and we're going to see a reaction from Daniel. Notice what the Bible says. It says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and things to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of times. But the judgment shall sit... And shall, they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it into the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations. What's that? My cogitations must trouble me and my conscience changed in me, but I kept the matter where? So if you go back and you look at Daniel 7, Daniel is concerned only about one power. It's the one power that's persecuting and prosecuting the people of God. This is the one that he's paying attention to, and he's asking the question, how long? How long? Now I'm going to pause here for a moment. Um, There is a... uh, A slow understanding, or an incomplete—that's the word I'm looking for. There is an incomplete understanding of this 1844 time frame. And when I say incomplete, in other words, I'll say differently. If I say to you, uh, "What happened in 1844?" What would be your answers to me? What would you say to me? What What happens in 1844? Jesus moved from the what? Holy place to what? And I say, that is so right. And I say, why? Why did he move from the holy place to the most holy place? For what purpose does he go there? Judgment, you say. Cleansing. Cleansing the sanctuary, you say. And this is good answers, all biblical answers. I just want to know, do you understand the weight of what you're saying? Um, because, again, there, there, are, there are good answers uh, that come from our Adventist experience, but does does the weight does the weight of what you're saying? Do you feel what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, so let me say it this way: It says, under two th- uh, it says, unto two thousand three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed." Can I ask you a question? Why is it important that the sanctuary be cleansed? But your sins are there? Why is that important? Why is it Why is it important that the sins be. So there
1: can be no separation between okay. God and man.
0: No separation between God and man? Yes? So that he can come back. Okay, so these are actually very good answers. No separation. He can come back. Come on now. Now watch this. Watch this. I want you to. I'm going to use. I'm going to use a Bible story. I'm going to use a Bible story to illustrate the point of why the sanctuary has to be cleansed. In other words, there is no other. There is no option, but it must be cleansed. And I'm going to use a Bible story. You're going to understand the Bible story. I want first before I go to the story. I want you to go to Daniel seven for a moment, and I want you to look at verse numbers 21. You see verse 21. Please read out loud for me what verse 21 says. What does it say? Now, do you know that verse should have never been in the Bible? Mm-hmm. That, verse should, that's, that verse should not exist in the Scripture. Now, let me tell you a story. Now, I was not intending to do this, but I think I should stay here for a moment and just on this point. I want you to go back to Numbers for a moment, please. The book of Numbers, in chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22, and I'm going to we're going to use the Old Testament story to illustrate the principle that I'm trying to highlight to you. And if we begin to understand what God is trying to do, then we, maybe we'll start cooperating. Mm-hmm. But Numbers chapter 22, we'll start right there. You know the story very, 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 very well. It's about Balaam and Balak. Everybody know that story? Yes. Okay. Now let's read. Let's read the passage for a few moments. Uh, we're going to start reading. I'm start. I'll start reading for you in verse number five. Balak has now sent messengers. He sent messengers before. Therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of the people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against him. Now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. For they are what? Too mighty. They're what? Too mighty. Too mighty. For they are too mighty for me, per adventure, I shall what? Prevail. No, nobody's reading with me. Prevail. Let's read it again. I just want y'all to hit that word at the same time with me, okay? Let's, let's go again. I want to make sure you get this because I'm building the case. It says, per adventure, I shall what? Prevail. So the intent of Balak going to Balaam and hiring him on was so that he could curse the people of God so that he could prevail against them. Obviously, the people of God had not done anything that the, the other nations around them could to, to conquer them. They couldn't stop the people of Israel. The people of God were going in and conquering and destroying. So say, I need to hire somebody who knows how to put kryptonite amongst them, if you will. I need to figure out how to weaken them. If I can weaken them, then I can prevail against them. You follow what I'm saying? Because, I, again, I told you there is no reason why the people of God should be prevailed against. It's a science. Satan's, Satan's slick. This is not even the main talk. I have another talk where I deal with this more thoroughly. But he's weakening the church. He weakens us intentionally. He has a way so that if he can curse us, he can destroy us. Wait a second. Let's go a little further. So we know the story of Balaam. He, 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 he's a money-hungry, um, worldly-looking, honor-hunger-seeking person. But jump down to chapter 23. And we jump right into the 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 four four different prophecies, which are all very powerful if you actually study them all the way through. They're very interesting. But jump down to verse number sixteen, and we're going to be be, actually before I get to sixteen, look at verse eight, chapter twenty-three, verse eight. Again, he's under inspiration of God. God is speaking through him. And notice what the Bible says. How shall I curse whom God hath not what? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not what? So if there's a power that prevails against the people of God, it's because God is defying his own people. Y'all not hearing me right now. If there's a power that's dominating and treading on the people of God, it's God's intent to let the church know, hey, guess what? You're without my presence right now. You're without strength right now. And you need my assistance if you're going to prevail. But wait, there's more. Watch this. Same chapter, chapter 23, jump down to verse 16. The Bible says, And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go again unto Balak and and say thus... And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What have the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not said, and shall he not do it? Or have he not spoken, shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld what? Wait a second. Tell me something. We just did this a little earlier. What are the two components necessary to remove iniquity? Grace and truth, truth, which is the revelation of God's glory and his character. Is that right? I have not beheld iniquity. Watch. He have not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is what? Wait a second. Y'all not reading this properly. The Lord his God is with him. And the what? And the shout of a king is among them. Do you understand what's happening? So when there's no sin between God and His people, there is no power that can stand against them. So now when you get to Daniel chapter uh, Daniel 8:14 until 2000, 300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Amen. It's the removal of sin so that the king can sit in authority over his church so that there's no power that can prevail against them. So. Do you understand what God is intending to do? But his church wants to hold on to it. They like just a little bit of sin, just a tad bit, not that bad. Just a little bit of my own way, my own deeds, my own Actions. I'm telling you, friends, the shout of the king is among them. That sounds like the loud cry to me. When the king stands in the midst of his people, there is nothing that the world's going to be able to do against them. The question is, whose side are you on? This verse just comes to my mind all this. I just, when, I, when I started first memorizing verses, Romans 6 was one of the first chapters I started putting <coughs> in my brain. And it says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You cannot serve two masters. Can't serve two. Can't serve two. So now when I look at the verse in Daniel eight fourteen, my mind says, oh, I understand. He wants you to remove sin. And then my mind goes to Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. Go to Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. Watch what it says. Now it makes more sense. It has a little bit more clarity in my mind because these verses now fit in the whole plan that God intends to do for his people. And Daniel 7 verse 13 it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. And there was given him what? Dominion and what? And what? Sounds like he's receiving a kingdom. Is that right? Sounds like he's about to become a king, is that right? It's in the same context, in the same time frame, as this Daniel 8, verse 14. Now take this into mind now. This angel of the covenant is coming down. He roars like a lion, declaring the realities that he's about to take his kingdom. The God of heaven says something back to him. They hide it. They don't, they don't, he doesn't declare what he's doing, what he's saying. And then Jesus stands and he swears by him that made heaven and earth. That there should be what? Time no longer. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Amen. The declaration that there will be time no longer is directly related to time yes. in reference to the persecution of his church. Y'all, did you guys miss that? You missed it. It just went over your head. Did you get it? Yes. There should be time no longer. There is no more of this power that dominates for these long, egregious time frames. Yes. The question is, does the church understand the plan? This is the plan. God said, I'm trying to get an army together. I'm trying to get troops together that understand and fall under the leadership and the kingship of the one that is in heaven right now receiving a kingdom. Let's go a little further, though. What's my time like? prophetic time? <laughs> no. I'm going to try to do a literal time because time's no longer. No more of that, right?
1: <laughs>
0: Let's go to Daniel 12. In Daniel 12. And we we'll start reading in verse 7 and we'll read into verse 8 and 9. And I think I want to, yeah. We're reading verse 8 and 9. It says, And I heard the angel clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river. When he held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half. And when he he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, What shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of what? So there is a, a, a biblical example showing us that God has declared something and then hid it. Do you see that? We see that demonstrated here in Daniel 12, and we see it now in Revelation chapter 10, that God has declared something and then intentionally hid it. Now I'm going to share things with you. Now people don't talk about this stuff because they don't. I don't know why. I'm I just going to share with you what I found from my personal study. Okay? It says when people begin. To, when, do the, when do the people begin to understand? Based on this verse, when do they begin to understand? At the time of the end. The of the end. So based on Daniel twelve eight and nine, they began to understand around the time of the end. Based on Revelation Daniel twelve verse ten, who understands? many shall be purified and made white and tried but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand but what wise. so around 1798 only the wise would begin to understand are you paying attention yeah. so around 1798 the wise will begin to understand what this is all about what is this in reference to why is it happening the wise now now let me ask you a question who are the wise Who are the wise? Those who fear God are wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So those who fear God, then that would then tell me that the first angel's message would have to be declared. Fear God and what? Give glory to him. him. Now it tells me that there's a group of people that are following under the the, the first angel's message and is being described right here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, that the wise are going to begin to understand around this time. But wait, there's there's a little more still. Um, We'll pass this. Well, we did that already. We did that already. Okay, so now this is my little chart I made for myself. Again, when you're studying, this is a suggestion that I have. I suggest that you make your own time charts. Even if you think you know them already, just draw them anyway. It does something by you drawing it yourself or creating the chart for yourself. You kind of own that thing. You follow what I'm saying? So you you just get your little, I did this on PowerPoint, you know, just get my little arrow thing and doop, 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 and put it together. All right? So I have this picture here. Jesus goes to receive a kingdom. Did that already? Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Okay, I don't think I want to deal with this. There's a lot. Let me just deal with it for a moment, okay? What I'm going to say to you now is simply information that you can have. I am not trying to make an argument about stuff, okay? You can believe whatever you want to believe in regards to what I'm about to say right now. But this is what I believe, okay? Don't get mad at me. It says, this is talking about Daniel 11 verse 31. It says, "When you shall see, you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand." So there's a point in time when there's an abomination, the desolation that's going to stand in the holy place. And if I had time, I would show you what that holy place looked like, but we'll just start here. Daniel eleven thirty one, and arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of what? Sanctuary. You know, that's where you get your strength from. Psalms ninety six verse six tells you that strength and beauty are in the sanctuary. They shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily, that were sacrifices supplied, and shall take away the daily, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. In other words, there's going to be a power that's in the way of the papacy when that power is removed, and they place this power, this power will sit in the place where it's not supposed to sit, in that holy place experience. This is from some historical writings, Um, you can read them here. Hill History, Diplomacy, and International Development of Europe, Volume 1, page 55. Adam's Civilization During the Middle Ages, page 141-142, to states the following. Again, Dr. David J. Hill, former United States Ambassador to Germany, said, Up to the time of Clovis, the invading hordes of the East had moved steadily westward. Henceforth, that tide was to be turned back and conquest was to proceed to the opposite direction. It was the Franks who, turning their faces eastward, checked further advances of the barbarians. You're going to understand why I'm saying this in a moment. Professor George Adams writes, Clovis founded a political power which was to unite nearly all the continent in itself and bring the period of the invasions to an end. In other words, Clovis is a pagan king. He converted to Catholicism. And because he's a Catholic, and he's stopping the invading hordes, if he had not stopped the invading hordes, these people would not be Catholics. They would end up being Goths, I believe, or something of that nature. All right? It says, it was in the year 507 that Clovis and his Frankish army met the army of the Visigoths under his king, under their king, Alaric II. Alaric, realizing his weakness, tried to delay the confrontation, hoping to help, hoping help would come Theodoric, king of the Ostrogoths. But no help came, and soon the Visigoths were in flight, and Alaric was slain. The victorious Franks pursued them as far as Bordeaux where Clovis passed the winter while Thierry and his son were overrunning, I don't know how to say that word, Quincy, and don't know how to say that word. The Gauls, whose new king was a minor, made no further resistance, and in the following year, the Sullian chief took possession of the royal treasure at Toulouse. He also took the town of, Angulme. say it again? Angoulme. Angoulme. Say it louder so they can hear it. I'm a good man. Very good. All right. In 508, a short time after these events, Clovis received the titles and dignity of Roman Say it with me. Say it for me. Yes, that word. And counsel from the Greek emperor Anastasius. In 508, Clovis received at Tours the insignia of the consulship from the Eastern Emperor Anastasius. Now, why am I reading all this? You're gonna see in a moment. Nor was his nor was his a temporary conquest. The kingdom of the West Goths and the Burgundians had become the kingdom of the Franks. The invaders had at length arrived who were to remain. It was decided that the Franks and not the Goths were to direct the future destinies of Gaul and Germany. And that the Catholic faith and not Arianism was to be the religion of these great realms. Do you understand? Yeah. So there's a power, a state power that unites with the Catholic Church and stops the invasion of barbarian tribes, and when he stops the invasion of the barbarian tribes, he sets the tone for the religion that's going to be in the whole area for the next 1290 years. Do you understand? When he does this, he puts the papacy, quote-unquote, in the holy place. He sets it up in the year 508. We don't talk about this, all right? It says, thus in 508 term, thus in 8508, terminated united resistance to the development of the papacy, and the question of supremacy between Frank and Goth, between Catholic and Aryan religions, had then been settled in favor of the Catholics. So historically, the Bible prophesied that there's a power that will be placed in a position of authority, and when it's placed there, it will change the religious outcome, the political powers for the rest of time. So here is the year 508. Read with me, Daniel, back in Daniel 12. Look at Daniel 12. Look at verse 11. You with me? It says, And from the time that the daily shall be taken away, that's those pagan powers, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, that's the papacy, the union of church and state, there shall be a thousand, two hundred and what? So here's 508. You take 1,290 days. You've probably never seen this prophecy in your life, right? So you take these 1,290 days, and it brings you to this year, 1798. And we said 1798 is the time of the end. You've got to follow me now. Same chapter, verse 12. Watch verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,305 and 30 days. Now, see this? If you add the, the rest of that time frame, you'll come to the year 1843. Now I had a problem, because I was like, okay, I know what happened in 1844, but what happened in 1843? And when I read 1843, I ain't seen nothing. Nothing seemed to happen. So I was like, so, and then what I tried to do was stretch 1335 to make it reach to 1844, but the numbers just didn't add up. I said, maybe it's the year zero. But then I said, well, no, it's after. So I was just trying to figure it out. I couldn't figure it out until one day I was studying and the Lord asked me a question. And I'm going to share that question with you in a moment. Why 1335? Notice the Bible says, blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1335 days. Blessed. There's a blessing there. Have you ever asked yourself, "What is the blessing? What is the blessing that brings us all the way down to 18? What is that? What is the significance of 1843? Watch this now. I want you to pay real close attention to what we're about to do right now, and I real close attention. We're running out of time, so go to Psalms 105. Psalms 105. Ooh. Psalms 105. <laughs> the light came on, huh? Psalms 105, watch this now, and we're going to begin reading at verse 17. Pay pay close attention. Pay close attention. Watch this. It says, he sent a man before them, even who? Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. Before I read, close your Bible. Keep your hand right there. Don't look at the verse. All right. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What? When I say Joseph, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Egypt. Egypt. Egypt right. Potiphar. Father-son relationship. Father, relationship. Betrayed. Betrayed. So, say, sold. sold. You said. Patriot. Jesus. Jesus.
1: Jesus.
0: Jesus. Jesus. Of a Jesus. Okay. So, what do you say? A deliverer of a nation. Deliverer of a nation. Now, I'll tell you what first thing came to mind. All your answers are great. Because I grew up with those children's storybooks, And the story that they always start out was Joseph and his coat of what? Many colors. All right. So I started with his coat of many colors. And then I thought of why his brothers hated him. Tell me, why did his brothers hate him? Jealous, jealous of what? Uh, of his dreams. Think, wait, wait with me. Think with think me for a moment. They were jealous of Joseph because of his dreams. What was his dreams about? What, were he, what was he dreaming about? He that he would rule over them. Right? That they would bow down. Mom and dad would bow down. His brothers would bow down. And he is, he is, has to be the worst person in the world. That, that's what they're thinking, right? But think about this. Before any of that comes to pass, before anybody bows down to him, tell me what happens in Joseph's life? Sold as a slave. What else happens to him? False accusation. And then he's where? In prison. Now watch this. Read verse 19 with me now. Psalms 105, uh, and we're looking at verse, we'll start at verse 18, and then you'll, you'll, we'll get to 19. It says, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. And there's my favorite word in the Bible. What is that word? Until. Until, until what? Until the what? Uh-huh. Woo, you're not listening. He was a slave. He was in iron's. The vision in his head, the dream of what he's supposed to be, there's no sight at all that this is happening until. Until what? What does it say? Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord did what? Y'all not hearing this thing? Are you hearing this thing? What does it say? Go ahead, read it. You read it. What does it say?
1: Until the time came to fulfill his dream, the Lord tested Joseph's character.
0: The Lord tried him. Blessed, blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 13 and 35. Why? Because they're going to be tried. Y'all not hearing this thing? They're going to be tried. There's something special that God has in mind. The seven thunders uttered something. Don't tell what I just said. There's going to be a trial. There's a promise until the time came. He's there until, just like judgment was set, until the ancient of days came. Are you guys following me right now? Let's go a little further. Go a little further. What does it say in James chapter 1, verse 12? James chapter 1, verse 12. Somebody stand up and read this for us. James chapter 1, verse 12. Watch this. James 1 verse 12, what does it say? Go ahead. It says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Ah, uh-huh. there you see it again. Yeah. Blessed is the man when he is tried. You know, I used to get mad at trials. I get mad when people call me names, I get mad when they try to destroy my character and destroy my school. I just I start getting upset inside. The Bible says rejoice. Doesn't it say that? Rejoice. It says rejoice when they say all manner of evil against you. Well that takes a whole different level of Christianity, is that right? <laughs> and here, blessed to see that weirdest and coming to the thirteen and thirty of five days, there's a blessing there. Why? Because in 1843 they thought he was coming. 1843 to 1844, they thought he was coming. Blessed are you who go to this trial. God placed a blessing on them. Wait, there's more. First Peter 1, verse 7. Oh, I love this. First Peter 1 and verse 7. Watch what the Bible says. Who's next for us? Who's going to read next for us? Go ahead, sister. Do you see it? More precious than gold? Your tri- do you value your trials like money? <laughs> do, you, do you value your trials like money? You, know, you guys know how hard you work for money, right? You go get a job for trials. Some of you won't go on a mission trip because it's going to be hard. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? You need to treasure your trials. You need to rejoice when things are not going your way. God has designed them and he has crafted them just for you. But there's more, there's more. Psalm 17 verse 3. What is Psalm 17? I haven't read this one in a while. Let's see this. Psalm 17 in verse 3. Now watch this. Watch this. I love this. Psalm 17 verse 3. Who has it?
1: Go ahead. 17 verse 3. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and
0: have found nothing. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. Do you see that? Amen. You have visited me. You have tried me. I, I have purpose that my mouth will not trans, transgress. Amen. Now let's tie this directly to the sanctuary. Are you ready? I want you to go to Malachi chapter 3 now. Malachi chapter 3. I said, Lord, I don't understand. What is the blessing? Nothing happened. And he's right. He's like, that's right, Andre. Nothing happened. And that's the answer. (coughs) Malachi 3. Who has that for us? All right, brother, go ahead and read. Which verse? Start at verse 1. 1, 2, 3.
1: Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple.
0: Wait a second. Can you read that again?
1: Behold, I will send my messenger.
0: I will send my what? Yes. Messenger. Okay, keep going.
1: And he shall prepare the way before mm-hmm. me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his mm-hmm. temple. Mm-hmm. Even the messenger of the
0: covenant. Come on now. Mm-hmm. Tell me something. Mm-hmm. Where have we seen the messenger of the covenant already? What chapter? Revelation. Revelation chapter 10. Are you following so far? Yes. So when the messenger of the covenant comes suddenly into his temple, are you paying attention? Yeah. Keep going. What is he going to do? What is the mess- What is the job of the messenger of the covenant when he comes into his temple? Go ahead, please.
1: Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, say the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming?
0: Question. Well, where is he coming again based on the verse? To his temple Very good Keep going
1: And who shall stand When he appears For he is like A refiner's fire And like Fuller's soap And he shall sit As a refiner And purifier Of silver And he shall Purify the sons Of Levi And purge them As gold And silver That they may Offer unto the Lord An offering in righteousness
0: Question So when the messenger of the covenant enters into the temple, are you going to feel good about it? No, you don't naturally feel good about that. You get purged with fire, you ain't happy about that. But this is his work. This is what he comes in to do. He comes in to make it clean that he may offer an offering. So whoever teaches that God ain't making it clean is not a teacher of righteousness. Whoever teaches that Jesus has no intent to purify you wholly from the inside out is not a teacher of righteousness. Whoever teaches that Jesus is going to allow you to sin until Jesus comes has no idea about the plan of salvation. We've seen it from the Bible. Did you see it from the Bible? I only use one quote the whole time, guys. <laughs> only one quote, but I'm about to use another one. I'm gonna pass this. This is something for another day. Another day, another day. Here we go. Read this. Uh, you, you read it with me. It says what? The books of Daniel and the Revelation are what? One, One is a prophecy, the other a revelation. One a book sealed, the other a book open. John heard the mysteries which the thunders utter. Wait? You see it? He heard it. What did he say? But he was commanded not to write them. The special light given to John, which was expressed in the seven thunders, was a delineation of events which would transpire under the first and second angels' messages. It was not best for the people to know these things, for their faith must necessarily be tested. What? Did you see it? I showed you from the Bible. Mm -hmm. In the order of God, most wonderful and advanced truths would be proclaimed. The first and second angels' messages were to be proclaimed, but no further light was to be revealed before these messages had done their specific work. This is represented by the angel standing with one foot on the sea, proclaiming with a most solemn oath that time should be no longer. And guess what? We didn't even finish the chapter. We only got through like six verses. Took us two hours. This book is awesome, guys. No theological training taught me this are you listening to me this is time with Jesus on my knees by myself and every child of God from the least to the oldest can learn to study the Bible like this all we did was take one verse and compare it with another one verse and compare it with another one verse compared it with another, and let the Bible speak for itself, and let the philosophies Amen. and the ideas Amen. of man go to the trash heap. Amen. This book is special. This is the very heartbeat of God in this book. Turn your TVs off. Amen. Tell you, I'm telling you, if you want to go in this thing. I'm not telling you to turn your TV off so you can be saved. That's up to you, and that you and Jesus work that out. I'm talking about if you want to get closer to the master, turn your TVs off, get off of YouTube, turn off the Facebook, and put your face in this book. Yes. And let Jesus speak to you. And he will. This is his desire. This is his passion. He wants you to understand what's happening. And it's not just about intellectual information. It's about a heart connection with what he's doing so I can cooperate with him in these final movements because these are the final movements. Everybody understood what we studied? Let me see your hand. You understood? All right, those of you who didn't raise your hand, stay by after. we have to have a three-hour study together. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you've heard our prayer and song. And Lord, you've impressed our hearts this evening in the study of your word. I ask, Father, for a special blessing under all that are under the sound of my voice, that you give them special insights into their relationship with you through the study of your word. I ask, Father, that you give them clarity of thought and feeling that they reflect your own. I pray, Father, that you write each principle of these words in our hearts that we may not sin against you, And I ask, Father, that you teach us how to fortify our minds so that we can stand through the last great crisis that is about to break upon this world. We love you, Father, and we ask that you teach us to love you more. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen.